Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the 87th Chief Yuya Podcast. I'm glad to have you here and riding with me on another adventure through the halls of Jezebel. <laughs> so, no, we are not done as of yet. We're on part four of our Jezebel series. And um, on the feedback, again, it seems like uh, you all are getting a lot out of it. And we're going to uh, go a little a little deeper into um, maybe some of the real world experiences that we have with that particular spirit in this segment where we're going to be speaking about um, some of the syndromes that surround the Jezebel mind state or, or the mindset and in, in particular the um, solipism syndrome. And we're going to discuss what solipism is and, and how it plays itself out and and most importantly, the the self the self absorption that comes with the solipistic mindset, you know, where primarily you you feel that um everything that exists in the world uh exists inside of your mind, or rather the only thing that is the world is your mind. And there's nothing that exists outside of that that view that you have of yourself. So it's a very uh confined worldview, if you will, and um, we'll get into how that may play with one's perception of reality, and most importantly, how that plays out when you're interacting with the Jezebel spirit or an Ahab spirit and not knowing what you're actually looking at. I want to reiterate too that you know these segments we're talking about Jezebel and Ahab, not just not just Jezebel, but you know I want you to pay close attention to both of those energies. When, when they come up because they're, they're, they work in tandem. You know, you really won't have one without the other and they are both equally dangerous and equally wicked. All right. So let's get into our proverb and then we're going to get into our movie. Um, and you're going to probably find a certain theme with our proverbs for this session on the Chief Yuya podcast because, uh, yeah, my, my meditations this strong were on a particular thing, I think you're going to know what it is. Um, so our first proverb, if you know how to make good use of the mud, you can grow beautiful lotuses. When the mind is silent like a lake, the lotus blossoms. It's like growing lotus flowers. You cannot grow lotus flowers on marble. You have to grow them on the mud. Without mud, you cannot have lotus flowers. Without suffering, you have no way to learn how to be understanding and compassionate. If you feel lost, disappointed, hesitant, or weak, return to yourself, to who you are, here and now. And when you get there, you will discover yourself like a lotus flower in full bloom, even in a muddy pond, beautiful and strong. Okay, so I think you probably um yeah, some idea about what I've been meditating on this this strong and what's sort of been in my thoughts. But again, as always, I leave those proverbs to you to explore in your own psyche and see what comes forth for you and and how it feels and how it it hits you and how it you know um how it travels around 
your own thoughts like wind and, and ideas should. And uh, as always, if you have a comment or question, questions at chiefyuya.com is where you can send your comments or questions or anything like that or even feedback. You know, maybe you might have meditated on one of the proverbs that was shared and you might have had some sort of experience that you want to share as a result of it. So feel free. You can always share um, your thoughts and ideas at questions at chiefyuya.com. All right. So now what we're going to get into is we're going to get into our movie for the strong. You know, our last movie, it, um, again, sharing that with, with the community. We watched it last Sabbath together. You know, every Sabbath or Saturday for some of you, we have uh, movie watch parties in our new where we kind of, I don't know. I mean, we, we break the movies down as we watch them, but you know, you always, you always have those people who keep talking the whole movie. <laughs> you always have that. But, uh, for the most part, you know, we, we're having mature discourse about what it is that we're seeing and how deep it is. And, you know, so we have watched, uh, spring, summer, winter, fall, spring. And of course, I shared that all with you. And, uh, you know, it's a movie I've always really, really appreciated, enjoyed. So, I will that you had a similar experience in watching it. But um, I swapped out what we were, were going to watch this strong. And, um, okay, I had, to, uh, I had a truck, garbage truck backing up near uh, the home. But uh, anyway, yeah, I swapped out what we were going to watch. And um, I replaced it with something I felt was more in the flow. My spirit was telling me right? I to bring forth. So we're going to this this segment's um movie is a movie by the name of Kundun. Kundun. It came out in nineteen ninety seven. Kundun. All right. Another really good movie. Really good movie. Um very similar to Little Buddha. It's one that you can definitely watch with children. Th- there is some violence, um, but it's not it's not too bad. Obviously you may want to check it out first and then you make a determination if it's appropriate for your children. But um, you know, there's a lot of great questions again, similar to Little Buddha. There's a lot of, um, great learning experiences that you can establish around the film with your children. But, um, this film was, was, well, was written by Melissa Matheson, but it was directed by Martin Scorsese. So you already know once you see Scorsese film, it's going to be something kind of interesting. And, um, it's about the life of the Dalai Lama. And most importantly, like when he was discovered back in 1937 and to the point where he had to escape India in uh, 1959. And um, what's very interesting, at least for me, what was interesting about the movie was how the well, first of all, the, the, the Dalai Lama's actual relatives were in the movie. You know, um, one of the young boys that played him was like his grandnephew. And, uh, his mother was played by his, his grandniece, I believe, or his something, something like that. Um, or no, just his, his niece. I don't think it was a grandniece, but nonetheless, um, so they, they kept some blood, some Dalai Lama blood, obviously, but you get to see the Dalai Lama's possession. I mean, uh, progression through different stages of his own youth. And, um, you know, when they first encounter him in 1937, he's two years old and they recognize him as the 14th reincarnation of Buddha, in, in particular, the Buddha of compassion. 
And, you know, what he's supposed to be is a leader for his, pe- his people, spiritually and politically. There's no separation in that sense at that time. And just Kundun, you know, is a, is an interesting movie because it also highlights the, um, Chinese invasion of Tibet and which is why he had to go into, into exile, you know, but, um, like I said, you, you see him all the way from, uh, the age of two all the way up to the age of 24 and you kind of see him what his how his his training changes you know his education changes once he's discovered to be the buddha and the things that are going on around him but also how he's being prepared for leadership you know and um some of the ills of western culture and the way he's looked at so the invasion when he was around 15 it was um Mao Zedong or some say Mao Zedong, but Mao Zedong, who came into Tibet, and Mao Zedong was saying, hey, Tibet is a part of China. And he was absorbing um, Tibet into China, and there was resistance there. And um, there were people who were giving in, but the Dalai Lama was like, no, we're not, no, this, <laughs> we are our own place. Um, so there's a there's an interesting kind of like, uh, part of, part of the whole film because you have characters who are in Canada, who are in Tibet, who are in the United States, who are exiled or whatever. And, um, these are different people who played roles in the film. And what I like about the film is that none of them were really, were, were professional actors in the film. You see, these were people who actually suffered the, uh, we'll say suffered, but, um, went through the experience of that being in an anti-religious society that, the Maoist government had established and went into exile, you know? So, um, I think you will enjoy the movie. I think, you know, um, and you'll, you'll see where it speaks about, uh, like I said, the training that a child goes through or, uh, his holiness, as they call him, the Dalai Lama and how even being taken away to be trained as a scholar by monks and to be trained as a political leader, and uh what that looks like, what that experience. Kundun itself means um uh wisdom is an ocean or the, the ocean of wisdom. Some people will break it down simple. It means presence. But if you understand what an ocean of wisdom means, if you understand it philosophically, it means presence, you know, to be present. So um that is our movie. I don't want to give too much away, obviously. But uh we will be watching it and I knew this coming Sabbath we'll be enjoying it together. And um, for you all, I will that you also watch it. Now, we if you want to be in solidarity with us, you know, I mean, not only can you join the, the community, of course, come on in, apply, org. But we watch, we start our movies at usually about 5.35 Eastern. We hit the play button. <laughs> so if you want to be in solidarity and watch with us, if you ever feel like it, to be a part of the watch party, you want to be virtual, that's the time that we start, usually 5.35 Eastern. All right, so we will be watching um, Kundun at 5.35 Eastern this coming uh, Sabbath. I don't remember what the date is going to be. All right, so that is our movie. Now let's get into our concept. Uh, one of the things that I shared is that we're going to be dealing with um, the, the the solipsism syndrome and how it plays out in the, the Jezebel Ahab sort of reality. 
so I'm gonna I'm gonna touch upon some things that may feel very personal for those who um who they identify with. You know, like one of my new members always reminds me is that, you know, a kick dog will holler. You know, so if it doesn't apply, like they say, let it fly. But this is gonna apply to everyone because the Jezebel spirit is so prevalent that it's hard to get around you know, these things being relative to you. So first thing to understand is that here we're speaking about some of the argumenting or the debating that you may get in with a Jezebel spirit and why not only is that futile if you're not, if you don't have that spirit, but what it means. And, you know, similar to the last segment where I spoke about the, um, just the psychological terminology, you know, speaking about the psychopathic personality or the narcissistic personality or the borderline um, personality disorder sort of sort of syndrome that we have. We're going to do something a little similar here, um, looking at the psychology of it. Um, but again, always an understanding that we're speaking about a spirit. And I'm speaking about it from uh, terms of male to female. And the reason that that's happening is because um, just so you can understand the power play, the power dynamic, um, because it is gender related, even though you may have someone who is male who is exhibiting the effeminate, toxic, effeminate aspects of of a Jezebel. See, a lot of times when we say someone is a man is, you know, exhibiting toxic masculinity or female ex- is exhibiting toxic femininity it's actually the reverse. It's actually the reverse. The only way that masculinity could be toxic is if it's put into a place that it shouldn't be, like within a feminine space. The only way that femininity could be toxic is when it's put in a place it shouldn't be in a masculine place. So a lot of times the behaviors that you're seeing exhibited by people who you say are exhibiting toxic masculinity, they're actually exhibiting perverted feminine traits, you see, and you're going to understand more of that. So I want to make that clear. Because as as I start to explain, you might hear certain things say, well, men do that too. He's saying female, but men, yeah, I know it's, it's, so we're speaking about it from an energetic dynamic, you know? So like I said, starting out with talking about arguing, first thing to understand, and <laughs> like I tell many men and I knew, you know, I don't argue with women. I mean, I don't argue with anybody really, but with women, it's always a waste to argue, especially a Jezebel mindset, because if you're looking for comprehension or you're looking for compliance or you're looking for agreeance, it's never going to happen because nine times out of 10, when you're debating or arguing with a Jezebel minded female, you're arguing against feelings and um, a wayward female. You can never argue against her feelings. You can only manipulate them. That's, that's, that's your really your only, your only option. So just by the very nature of what an argument is, an argument, um, implies that there's some sort of reasoning. I have my reasoning, you have my reasoning, and now we have a, an intellectual, um, conflict. But when you're arguing with a Jezebel minded female, you have an ineffectual conflict that already sits inside of females. Um, you figure in, in most matters where there's a disagreement, whoever comes with superior logic wins. 
right? You'll yield. A man will always yield to superior logic. That's true. And they'll stop. Now, mind you, again, I want to reiterate as we're going, you may know some guys who don't. That's because they have a effeminate Jezebel spirit inside of them. That's why. But a, a man will always yield to superior knowledge or superior logic, excuse me, not knowledge, logic. A woman won't. So knowing that a, a woman won't, you or a female won't rather, you learn to manipulate a female's emotions in a way that makes her more compliant and cooperative for what it is that you need or you choose total disengagement. I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to deal with you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you, right? Sometimes you have females, again, toxic females who are so indignant and who have such a feeling of entitlement that it's impossible to escape their their fetish for argument. You know, all they want to do is argue. I'm going to explain why. We're going to get into it. And in that sense, you have to be more of a strategician. You have you have to be more Machiavellian in your in your thought, the way that you may weave around what it is that's being said and just be more strategic. Um because sometimes you don't realize that you're being lured into that argument. You know, you don't realize <laughs> this is this is battle. And you're looking to seek to you you're trying to bring rationale into the space and you know, some level of civilized discourse and not realize that it's not a civilized debate. So any man who has the idea that um, when you're arguing with the toxic Jezebel type energy, that it's about coming to a mutual agreement and coming to a discovery of truth so that we can um, kind of come to a place of cooperation. You're wrong. It's, it's about, being involved in a, in a, in that individual's emotional state and understanding that it's, they're operating already on a doomed axiom. So, whereas a man, you have a desire to solve, um, what is fundamentally incompatible with, um, a woman's desire for catharsis, you will always end up on the wrong side of that Jezebel spirit. So if you don't know that first, then nothing gets anywhere. You know, um, in this society, when I say this, Western society, we're often taught that we should placate um, toxic females' emotions. You know, happy wife, happy life, she's the boss, all those things that I spoke about. And we start to engage in mind-numbingly attempts, which are just futile, to reason with those particular entities. And we forfeit our power. And what happens is that you forfeit your power as a man before there's even a conflict. <laughs> You're already walking around with hunched shoulders saying, yes, dear, happy wife, happy life. You know, so you, um, you losing, you, you begin to lose the propositions that you may have. You know, so you should never placate or reason with a woman who's in distress. Ever. You know, you can be charming enough to keep the conflict at a superficial level. You know, um, sometimes when you're seeing that level of insanity, that's when you say, okay, I hear you. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I guess I would feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, I, I got you. Yeah, uh, I, can I get my receipt? <laughs> you know, you just want to get out of there. You know, check, please. <laughs> you know, um, but sometimes it's, there's a, there's, there's a time when argument can't be avoided. 
And you have to be strategic enough or Machiavellian enough to to belittle this toxic spirit that seemed to argue with you. And I explained the Machiavellian mindset. And Machiavelli, you know, I, many of you have heard me speak about um, Niccolo Machiavelli before. Um, and, you know, me it, advising that you check out his book, The Prince. But um, that Italian philosopher, Niccolo Machiavelli, Machiavelli, you know, it speaks about uh, just a, an idea of being very strategic and having a personal characteristic of ultimate strategy, you know, and really looking at the strategy of dealing with another person and, and using subcontext and or subtext, excuse me, um, as a battleground in order to conduct effective psychological or psychic warfare. So learning mind games, charm, mental gymnastics. Um, subtle subtleties of of the sublime, you know, and being able to influence the psyche are all aspects of Michael. Uh, excuse me, Michael uh, Machiavellianism. So it 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 creates an uncertainty um, when you're speaking to certain people, and the target of your manipulation can be controlled, or they can be influenced to believe something or to not believe something. Um, um, or you can plant a seed for to nurture an agenda that you may want to shift into. So a lot of times when people go into sociology, they go into psychology, that's really what they're looking for. And they don't get, you're not going to get that, you know, because the Machiavellian mindset is a blending of sociology and biology. So it goes so much deeper, right? Um, but they, they don't teach you that in college. Even if you take philosophy classes, you really won't learn the depths of how to utilize the Machiavellian mindset. You have to kind of piece it together through different things, you know. So that's that's what we're talking about there in terms of being Machiavellian enough to belittle that person. But you should never argue back and forth with any kind of seriousness because if you're arguing with an emotional state of a toxic uh, female, you're really just, and, and unless you're masochistic, it doesn't make sense. You know, you're, unless you're just someone who likes to inflict pain upon themselves. And there's some people like that, so there's no knock against that. But if you're, if you're, it's, it's foolish, you know, um, but if conflict is unavoidable, you have to assert dominance. And that's the only recourse that you have for a Jezebel spirit that's seeking to dominate use um, psychologically with her emotions. Because once her emotions have settled, that's when you explain your reason. That's when you explain your expectations. And that's when you guide and care for her. But outside of that, when you're inside of an argument, you never try to explain logic. You never try to explain reason, you know, or your expectations inside of an argument. Because... Now, now, granted, if if the woman is not significant, because I know some women may be listening, like, well, you know, you 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 don't tell me anything afterwards, or whatever. yeah, because you're not significant to me. You know, if the woman is is not significant, then you don't need that level of patience, and you you can use aftercare at your discretion. You know, um, now let's explain why that that indignation exists. It's it's insecurity, which is the basis for her uncooperation. Um, when she's dissatisfied and she's on the precipice of dissatisfaction, um, her incl inclination to make 
um, to reason um, a concept of argument is inane. You know, the, there's a, the key to cooperation. It, it lies in your ability to keep her emotional state positive. Now, this is very important when you're dealing with a Jezebel spirit and a positive emotion. I know you may say that's almost impossible because she's this raging beast underneath the surface. Yeah. You know, but you, you consider this. Would you build your house while while an active volcano is shaking the ground and getting ready to erupt? That wouldn't make sense, right? Would, would you go to college and, and sign up for for school while there's someone in the school shooting it up? Would that make sense? Right. So why would you attempt to reason with someone who's distressed? You know, the, the two just don't go together. I know I got all these notifications going on. Yeah, we got a couple things going on at once. <laughs> um, always understand women's feelings are quick to turn. They're very finicky. They're quick to sour. So you can be the most tamest of crit- critics. And that will still result. In a, in a ill feeling. And it's primarily just only merited by that person's inability to handle things like that. They can't handle any level of critique. So the, the trap of arguing is always going to be there if you express yourself without filtering yourself as the rational person. Now, again, I'm speaking in terms of male and female, but you may be the woman listening to this and say, hey, man, my husband is like that or my brother is like that. You know, right. So you're speaking to the, to the female inside of, inside of him, right? The toxic Jezebel female inside of him. I just want to reiterate, I know I said it before, but I just want to reiterate it that, um, yes, we're, so, we're speaking about traits that are primarily connected to the female mindset, but we live in a time now where re- many males think like toxic females and many females think like toxic males, right? So we have to understand both sides of this. Um, as a man, you, you'll get confused because you'd be like, man, how could such a benign comment result in such a grave offense? You know, because you, you're not understanding how crude since the, the sensitivity is and intrinsic to the female or to femininity. You see? So, what you're looking at is insecurity, but you're also looking at um there's this kind of this this idea where you say, Well, are are the majority of women insecure? Are you you asserting that? Are these things that are just traits that are like, you know, natural to women, you know, um and it's it's both. You know, it's, some of for a large part, most many females are very insecure and then but also you just have this desire to want to fight and argue you know and i'm going to explain why that is um i would assert that females are intrinsically insecure and that arguments take place because she's always demanding that her insecurities be placated her insecurities be massaged um despite how important the issue at hand is. It does not matter how important the issue at, at hand is. You have to deal with my insecurity first. You have to make me feel good first. I don't care what's going on. You know, and you have males who exhibit similar behaviors and they're woman-like and, and their mental fragility, you see. 
So there's a there's a cause and effect um, that most rational people think about, but that is always up against the the solipsistic blame that you'll have with that that Jezebel minded toxic female. So when you're arguing with or, or not with, but you're arguing against um, that female's feelings, I'm just checking. I'm sorry as I'm speaking. I'm, Got a couple things happening. Checking notifications. Checking notifications. When you're arguing against those feelings, you enter into her frame, into her tornado by maybe foolishly or sometimes even tacitly accepting the validity of her emotional premise, which can be dangerous. Dangerous, Because the acknowledgement is all it really takes to give the irrationality of her emotions credence. So you should never acknowledge it. You know, when people say, well, you're not validating my feelings. So what? They're not valid. I'm allowed to express how I feel. Not to me, you ain't. Because what you're feeling is stupid. What you're saying is stupid. And what you're feeling is stupid. How are you going to tell me how to feel? Didn't tell you how to feel. I'm just telling you what you are feeling is stupid. You you can keep feeling stupid stuff if you want. That's, that's your choice. Not a problem. You see? And... Men know this. Men listening are like, oh, my God, he's saying it out loud. <laughs> because we know, for the most part, one of the annoying things that we experience with females is that their feelings are usually anything but valid. Their feelings usually are invalid. Because for most immature-minded females, whatever she feels, regardless of why she's feeling it, is valid. If I feel it, it's valid. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to think about why I feel it. And if you ask me why I feel it, I'm going to be offended. Because a toxic-minded, Jezebel-minded female doesn't care about the why or the understanding behind their feelings, but simply the fact that they're feeling. And the fact that there's a feeling that's present is proof enough that it's valid. It's here, right? You know, and there's like an infinite loop where... and that toxic mindset, it's like the feeling exists, therefore it's valid. The feeling exists, therefore it's valid. Is it valid? Of course, because it exists. Does it exist? Yeah, because it's valid. You know, and it just goes around in this, in this loop of insanity. Um, because, you know, again, the, the solipsistic mindset says that whatever is within my mind, that in, in my mental condition is the only thing that really exists. So the world is always going to be perceived by the way I believe the world is. You see, and anything outside of my perception is unreal. You see, and that's why you get a lot of loneliness. You get a lot of um, <clears throat> indifference. You get a lot of attachment, uh, dis, dis, disengagement, I should say. Um, and that's actually what we call uh, depersonalization disorder. If you look at it um, from a, a psychiatric Diagnosis is called depersonalization disorder, right? Um, but it's just the idea that, yeah, man, it's, it's only me. It's only my thoughts. I, I am it. I am all there is, right? So in that, in that sense, you have this, this kind of experience that you'll have with a person who thinks about that and you realize that their blame, um, is always sits inside of this abstraction. You see, if, if, if she feels something negative, regardless of how reasonable your position is, she will blame you for it. You know, um, she disregards the importance of cause and effect. It doesn't matter. 
I've, I've said this so many times, you know, even when I watch certain videos on social media and like, you'll see a guy hitting a, a female and oh, you should never put your hands on a female. No, I'm always like, what happened? What happened? I don't care. I'm not into that. You should never says who your, your foolish, idiotic mother told you that. That's where you got that idea from or your simp father. Man, you don't never, it don't matter what she does. You never give you a reason to put your hands on. Uh-huh. So she pulls a knife on me. She pulls a gun on me. I'm just supposed to walk away, right? Turn, let her shoot me in the back of my head or stab me in my, in my, that's what I'm supposed to do because I should never. If she threatens my child, if she grabs my child, she smacks my daughter, I'm not supposed to put my hands on her, right? Because you never put your hands on a female, right? I'm not supposed to do that. If she goes to my mother and knocks my mother's front tooth out, I'm not supposed to do anything because you will never put your hands on it. See, it's, it's that foolishness. And we don't acknowledge that there's a cause and effects that takes place outside of the female's mind. But that's irrelevant to her because sopolism or solipism, excuse me, it doesn't care for abstraction. It doesn't care anything about that. You know, it doesn't think with, with, with an abstract mind. We'll get into that. So while we could say that the blame should qualify an investigation as to what, like I said, what happened or why do you feel that way? She doesn't feel it. it this anything qualifies investigation because the blame is arbitrary by just by the merit of the solipsistic nature. You know, um, there's no abstraction. There's always a lack of abstraction. So the simple attribution of blame and the affirmation of it is a self-perpetuation of her emotional state. I feel this way. This is the blame. Well, how do you know it's the blame? Because I feel this way. You see, so there's no, it's, there's no investigation based on the sense of it. If she were truly fit, like, cared about why things were happening, happening, she would look beyond even the blame and analyze her own actions for what she did wrong. And she'd have a, a, a rational judgment as to if her feelings are reasonable or if they're unreasonable. And if she found them to be unreasonable, she would, she would get rid of them. She would disregard them and show interest in solving the, the actual issue. I can't tell you how many times, even in my own community, where there have been people who are no longer here, who were feeling a certain way or said, well, I believe this person said this, or when they said this, this is what they meant, and they were offending me. And then we get down to it and we prove there's no way that could have been said or there's no way that happened. Or let's play. Well, there's been times when I've played back videos. You misheard that word wrong or you didn't understand the word. We Let's look it up in a dictionary. This is what the word means. And the person will say, oh, OK, but mm. wait, we mean mm. or still have their face twisted up. So you're still upset. But it was just proven that the reason why you decided to be upset was false. You were mistaken. You were in error and you misinterpreted something or you misheard something and it put you in a certain place that you had no business being because it was invalid. But you're still upset. Why? And your only response is, mm, yeah, mm -hmm, OK. You see, that's an example of that. Because she allows she would rather allow her feelings to take precedence over the issue which tr triggered them. You see, there's this feeling that being born with where, where your your feelings always take priority. 
And there are some females who will do this retroactively where they'll look back and say, oh, man, I was feeling this. I shouldn't have been feeling this, da, da, da. But it's so rare that you pretty much won't find anyone who's like that. It's just that rare, you see. Um, when You might experience this at work with that Jezebel spirit where there's certain errors that are being made that they're just not doing their job properly. I've experienced this a lot. So you give suggestions on how to improve, you know, whether, whether it's a technique or whether it's approach, whether it's a tactic, whatever it is. And of course your suggestions are not great, are, are not met with euphemism and, you know, or they feel like, or maybe they weren't given with, with euphemisms and diplomacy. So now she's offended. And you see how easily now the premise for those toxic women's feelings are flawed because it's not difficult to offend this woman. And she doesn't need a logical reason to be offended. Feeling bad is the offense. I feel bad. So that means I'm offended. And um it's kind of a, a laborious kind of... um experience that occurs at such great frequency that as many men know it's just exhausting so her her nature is to constantly misdirect the man away from criticisms misdirect him away from his concerns and vilify him for daring to infringe on on the uh <laughs> serenity and sanctity of her emotional well-being i was doing fine before you came over here See, now, the masculine mindset will try to stick to his original point. No, but this is what I was saying. This is what I'm saying. And have that original point recognized and come to an arrangement or some sort of agreement over what my original concern was. The toxic Jezebel female could care less. She only cares about how you made your point. And how, most importantly, how your point made me feel. Not the point itself. How it made me feel. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people, females, or those who have that a female, toxic female mindset. I've said something, and the first thing they said was, well, it doesn't feel good to hear that. So everything has to feel good. Everything that you hear in your ears has to make you feel good. It doesn't feel good to hear that. So? <laughs> so what? But did, did you listen to what was being said? Did you listen to the actual point or you could have said it this way? Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but why didn't you say it like this? Because I didn't. But that does that negate from the truth that's being said? See, that's when you're dealing with a solipistic mindset. You're dealing with a Jezebel, male or female, when the focus is always on how you said what you said, regardless of its 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 validity. You see. It's always about how you said so. You may try to stick to your original point. That's done. You'll you'll even double down on your reasoning. And what that does is that provokes more intolerance and negative feelings inside of that person. And they'll double down on how important their emotional state is. You'll say, well, no, listen, I'm saying I'm, I'm breaking it down. They'll say, no, you listen to me. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to my feelings and how I feel. And, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So in doing that, they'll never address the point. They'll never even give the point any thought. They don't care. And of course, you as a rational and logical person, 
the man usually, you know, this is total torture because you'll also remember I'm in complete torture now. And I originally started off with well intentions. I was just given a suggestion. <laughs> and now this is endless cycle of frustration and, and I want to get away from her. So this serves to alienate you from your natural counterpart. And that's because the, the, the immature minded or the, the emotionally immature female is quick to offend. She's quick to anger and she's extremely slow to, to reason. Even when there is no hostility, you come back days later and she say, you know what? You're bringing that up again. We already talked about that. No, you screamed and yelled about it. We didn't actually talk about it. And those particular traits, her traits, she doesn't acknowledge that she was or is the cause of the hostility. It's her. So while you may want to pursue addressing what you believe the problem to be, the only problem in her mind worth addressing is you got to fix my positive emotional state. You got to repair my positive emotional state. So you keep trying to fix the original problem or issue and she becomes more and more, more and more annoyed because she says you're ignoring her emotions. You're annoying, ignoring her feelings. So you stand at a crossroad where the nature of you as a logical man and the solipistic female are at odds. You don't realize you're looking at a Jezebel. Because as a man, we always want to pursue what's correct. We're fixers by nature. We want to pursue what's true. Whereas the immature-minded female what wants to ma maintain her emotional state at any cost. Any cost. You're not going to disrupt my happiness. You see? She's like a teenager. No matter what. Oh, why do I have to do this? Oh, my, I was just sitting here listening to my music with my earbuds. Oh, and you asked me to do this. You asked me to do that. Because they can't, they can't cope with any level of stress like men can. So they, they can neither, they, they can't argue or they can't reason as well as men can. You've heard me say before that you're not going to win in an argument with a woman, but I'm not really literally speaking about an argument. You could be the woman in an argument all day because you have superior reasoning cap capabilities, but she's not really going to argue because the superior logician will always win an argue, argument. That's just going to happen. But the Jezebel female, she's going to be or strive to be. Her prowess is in her ability to be, to be psychologically dominant. So whereas you're coming with superior logic, she's coming with dominant psychology. You see? And she'll always dominate the frame of what the interaction is by maintaining um, a mutual focus on an indignation. And an indignant investigation of her feelings. But I feel like this. And the source of those feelings. And, of, and, and in the argument, um, you're the one who's always going to be the, the undisputed, un, you know, unapologetic. <laughs> Without a doubt, you are the source of the stimulus for my feelings. For my negative feelings, rather. It's you. And that frame of mind has nothing to do with the woman or nothing matters more than her need to understand what it is that she is feeling and to receive validation for what she is feeling, regardless of if it's legitimate or not. You see. 
Because your point, you making a logical point does nothing but makes her uncomfortable. It elicits more emotional discomfort because she doesn't care if she's in the wrong. Um, she doesn't care who she's been disloyal to. She doesn't care who she just dis, dis, uh, disobeyed because she doesn't, um, excel at logic. <laughs> you know, she's not appreciative of a thing when she's upset, like logic. No matter how good things are, she's always struggling to balance her reason with emotion. And that's when she's actually making an effort, if she even cares to make an effort. So in an argument, she's not even trying. So maybe when things are peaceful, she may try to balance her reason with emotion. But in an argument, mm -mm. it's not even a thought. There's a stubbornness grip where she wants that argument because the argument nourishes her. It feeds her needs for emotions. You see, whereas with men, arguments exhaust men. It's the opposite. You see. And her indignation will always outlast your reason. You know, and you advocate for yourself, but it doesn't matter. And keep in mind, if you get angry, don't get angry. If you get angry. The Jezebel will immediately invalidate your disagreement while validating the credibility of her feelings because your anger will now be turned against you and you'll be painted as the predator and the oppressor, the, the, the uh, misogynist, and she's the victim now. And you'll now be made to feel guilty because you be, you became angry and infuriated at this process. And now that becomes her way out. Even though her behavior was unacceptable. She now just got her out. Because you got angry. And the narrative that if she tells anybody. Will be that. It's your fault that she's upset. You know. Even if you know without a shadow of a doubt. That makes no sense. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. You see. So you, it's never in your. Best interest. To fight against feminine emotion. You know, it, it just wasn't, just doesn't work. And you have to understand, and I noticed this segment is going, it might be hitting some nerves, <laughs> you know, but it's always important to understand that the, um, how histrionics are conflated, you know, and this kind of with that Jezebel minded female, there's this interweaving of all these diverse emotional experiences and how they relate to each other. When we're looking at, you know, solipsism and whereas a man defines death by his struggle, a man defines death by his knowledge, the, the achievement or attainment of knowledge, a man defines the struggle by his capacity to understand the abstract and abstract thought, you know, that's, Becomes necessary for thinking. And if anyone's unclear on what abstract is, you know, we're looking at abstract versus con concrete. Um, you, uh, writing a poem is abstract thinking. Um, uh, what comedians do is abstract thinking, you know, so humor, having an imagination, thoughts around wisdom, thoughts around, um, being a successful person in life, creative thinking. Um, I think you've heard me speak about, um, Jean uh, um, Piaget before and his cognitive theories of development. And um, there's different stages 
of how our abstract thinking sort of develops. And he had certain stages, you know, the sensory motor stage, the pre-operational stage, the concrete operative stage, and the formal operational stage. And through going through these different stages of cognitive development, people start to begin the thinking, to think abstract around the ages around 12 years old. They become more skilled at kind of thinking about things from the perspective of another person. See, that's the key. If you can think about something on the other side of the table and not just yourself, now you start to think in abstract ways and, and your intelligence becomes more more mobile, if you will. You'll be able to analyze situations better, come up with more creative solutions better and things like that. So the, the, the solipistic um, individual doesn't go outside of themselves. They don't they don't look at relationship patterns or they don't look at why they may form a theory. Of, they don't form theories about why certain things happen, you see. But through solipism, they build up a self-perception. And that self-perception, it's it, it dominates the catalog of their emotional narrative and is an absence of introspection as it relates to it. So there's a distinction between introspection and, and solipism. And that's an in, introspection. It assumes that the external world is the root of things and they attempt to understand people who are introspective. They attempt to understand where I fit in relationship to this world, right? What's my place in this world? And I, and I think about that a lot, like, you know, introspect, see inside, man, I got to look inside to figure out my place in the world. Well, as where solipism, it assumes that the person is the root and it attempts to understand how the external world will fit into, um, how the person thinks like, you know, you got to figure out how to get over here, you know? So the whole world has like, when we say people are small minded, I think that's a good example actually sometimes of a colloquialism that, um, relates to solipism because now you're trying to fit the world into the way that you think you, you see in that sense. So what I think, um, becomes, I think that made me feel this way because of this. You see, as opposed to what I think, what I think is this. No, I think that made me feel. You see, so you're the external now intruded upon. So uh toxic Jezebel female considers it, it, it an enlightening experience to explore their emotional palate. Men typically don't have any a fixation on self-absorption, but, you know, even you'll find. In a lot of uh, development circles or conscious conscious thought circles, look at videos. You always see these Jezebel females. They want to talk about what they learned about themselves all the time. You know, I realize I'm a person like this. I realize I think like this. I realize I feel like this. You see, because the only thing that they consider worth exploring is the nuances of their internal world. That's it. That's That's the solipistic mindset. So whereas the man, he views it as being immature. That's immature behavior. And what he views as being immature, she views as being mature. So for for a Jezebel-minded, solipistic female, there's nothing more fascinating than understanding herself. She'll, she'll get degrees in psychology and sociology just to understand herself. 70% of the people have said that enter into the psychological field or the psychology field, they enter in to understand their own problems. See, that's solipistic. So the man seeks to understand the world. 
And the woman seeks to understand herself or the female seeks to understand herself. And that female says she needs to find herself. See, this is when you, you end up in relationships with a Jezebel. She wakes up one day, says, I need to find myself. Now, I'm going to tell you what that means. Now we're going to have a more raw talk because I'm already way over time. <laughs> so we might as well. What that means is I need to go find some other um, staff. I need to go find some other genital to go get on top of, you know, and hopefully some exotic genital. I need to find some exotic genital to get on top of because there's certain feelings that you can no longer invoke in me. And I need to go find those emotional experiences that I've, I haven't felt before that I feel like I can feel within a more exotic genital. You see, because you can't provide it for me anymore. That's what I'm happy. I'm unhappy. I need to go find myself means. Or we, I think we should see other people. <laughs> no, what you're saying is you've already, you feel like you've explored every emotion that you can have with this person. And now you want to go find some exotic, you know, and I just say exotic because it's other than what you've had. You see, because the, the solipistic Jezebel mindset it it sees abstract as being obtuse, whereas a solipistic reasonable and and a solipistic idea it's reasonable. That's what it should be. Whereas the the man is it's the opposite. The solipistic is obtuse, obtuse, and the abstract is reasonable. So when you look at the sexual differences which make us up, we just kind of really just start to scratch the surface of how distinct in psychology the male and the female are. You know, so there's there's an idea even with solipsism. That's where it kind of goes deep. If you if you liberate a woman of her dependency on on the material things, um, there's a self constraint that goes out of the window because she's now looking for a new luxury, and that's emotional luxury. So when she no longer has to survive, that's why you find the most puritanical females in poorest countries because the focus is on surviving. But when the pursuit of, of rich and nuanced sort of emotional experiences come into the forefront that creates or that feeds and fuels more that Jezebel mindset. That's why spoiled children tend to be Jezebels and Ahab. You give them everything they want and there's no thought about survival. They usually tend to be the most horrible people. You know, because a, a a female's or a woman's need for resources is nothing. It's it's just an interruption to her emotional self-discovery. That's really the truth of it. You know, so sometimes there's a gratitude of a desperate woman, and that's only a disguise for a solipistic selfishness. And you'll think, this is a good woman. That's a good woman, man. I did this for her. She thank you. I did this for her. And you don't realize that. No, she's just, her, her priorities are going to shift soon. And once she realizes she doesn't have to meet all those material needs, she's going to now start pursuing intense emotion. You see that all the time, like in the news, you know, you see these like entertainer couples or athlete couples, they came up poor, they came up together. Then as soon as they get money, everything goes haywire, you know, and I'm telling you at the, a lot of times there's a Jezebel at the root. 
because now that intense, that pursuit for intense emotions, it's paused by emergency for, for the urgency rather of material needs, but it's never gone. It's always there. I want to feel, I want to feel little girls love watching love stories and Disney love stories and reading, you know, books about, you know, romance and things like that. But I got to go make money. I got to get a job. But as soon as I can get this job thing out the way, I'm going to go back to that again. You see, so what does she look for as she grows up? A man who can provide. And after she finds the man who can provide, what does she look for after that? The man who can now stimulate emotional intensity. If that other one is not able to do it or is just no longer doing it. So that one becomes the the boring, domesticated male. And I got to get rid of him. You know, I'm I, I have, I'm a woman with wealth now. But I become detached. I'm alluring to this boring, sycophantic male because he can never really attain me. You know, he longs for me. I'm ever alluring. And but he never obtained me because he's not inducing that that emotional high that I want. You see. So. You think about the power of, of what people say romance. Like I say, romance is nothing but manipulation. But romance and sex, they're very distinct, right? And they'll culminate, they can be, they can be addictive. You know, they'll culminate this in emotional experience. But you know, fear and power can also be aphrodisiacs that will do the same thing, you know, because it feeds the emotional appetite. You know, so when one is pursuing like a, a, a sopolistic or solipistic, excuse me, self-discovery, the natural woman becomes drawn to things that she's afraid of, things that she's excited by, things that are powerful. You see, even in the vehicle she may drive, I want to feel power, I want a big truck, I want a big this, I want a big gun, I want a big dog. You know, because the ability to provide these fantastical emotions now is is unchallenged. I can get what I want. And it's in female nature to learn about herself via her own emotional roller coaster. And even when there's no emotions to be had, there's no roller coaster. She'll make a roller coaster. So how do you, how do you learn yourself through emotional roller coaster? What's the easiest thing to do? Romance. Pursue romance. So yeah, there's a biological kind of drive there because I want offspring, offspring, but if you really understand the solipistic nature, you'll understand that there's a, there's a indulgent and visceral emotion. That's what some people will say, man, why does she always go with the bad boy? She had children with the bad boy. She messed herself up in her younger years. Now she's got multiple children. Now she's middle aged in her thirties, forties, fifties, coming with all these children. Now she wants a good man. And you don't understand why. That's the, the constant story, the constant story. Because that bad boy fed her emotional appetite. Sometimes the bad boy turns into a good boy and she doesn't want him anymore. But she's a deadbeat mother when she's young. She chooses all these horrible guys because of the emotional excitement that he feeds into. That's the Jezebel demon inside of her being fed. You see, so it's not so clear cut. Sometimes we look at, oh, she just wants a bad boy because he could protect her. Well, then why they break up? <laughs> You know, so it's there is a manifestation of, you know, yeah, women wanting to seek out the most optimum genetic material. Sure. But um, 
the craving for romance is a drug of, of solipsism. And it doesn't diminish, it doesn't vanish even after she's had multiple children. Some guys think if I put a, put a couple of babies in her, she'll chill out. But you could have a 65, 75-year-old woman. She still wants, she still longs for that um, that emotional roller coaster. She may not be as um, hopeful and that she's going to get it and that endeavor, but she's still looking for it. And... um Through that kind of obsession, it doesn't, you know, not counting, it doesn't matter if she has children or not. Um, she'll look for even ro- forbidden romance, you know, and she becomes sexually depraved and, you know, uh, this, this, she wants to get rid of that mundaneness of everyday life, you know, so her pursuit becomes emotional intensity. That becomes the goal and that becomes more important than anything else. So it goes far beyond my role as a mother. Or, or wife or anything else that I would see as being um, intrusive to this thing that's pervasive, you see. So you have to know that when you're dealing with the solipsistic mindset. So I'm, I'm going to um, take a pause there. I, like I said, I went way over. But um, this is something that you need to get. You need to understand that this mindset exists. All right, we're going to take a break, and I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I just wanted to... Um Remind you all, for those who have reached out, uh, wanting coaching and and consultations, of course, uh, I am not doing readings at this time. So no Etefas and no Dafa. So at this at this time, I'm doing coaching, you know, so those of you reached out for coaching, you have questions, even spiritual questions, you know, fine. Or, you know, maybe you've um, had you know, maybe some instruction that was given to you from someone else before and you're having trouble deciphering it and things like that are, are still perfectly fine. For that, you would go to askosiris.com and that's for consultations. And if you want to purchase a, a coaching package, package where, you know, you get ongoing support, that's osirislife.com, osirislife.com. For classes, um, you know, like we have our online classes on Sadulu House, S-A-D-U-L-U-H-O-U-S-E dot com. So you could take your Anu spiritual training and classes on meditation and crystals and astral travel and dreams and a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, so that's what you can get there at the Sadulu House. And there'll be more classes coming up um, pretty soon, too, that I'm currently working on right now like on sexual alchemy and a couple other things right so just wanted to give you all the heads up on that so Dulu house ask osiris osiris life are some of the places that you can go and of course you can always follow me on you know my social media accounts all right and of course we have returned so there's so much more we're gonna have to break this up we're gonna continue forward in our next part like I said, we're way over time now, but um, I could flow on this subject <laughs> probably for days straight, you know, because there's so much to it. Like I said, because it's a pervasive thing that it, it it comes at so many different angles that you may not realize that it's more than just I saw a Jezebel spirit. I'm going to pray it away. It gets deeper than that. All right. But let me give you our book for this 87th uh, Chief Yuya podcast episode. 
And the book is very interesting because uh, it's related to the proverbs I was speaking about earlier, but I didn't intend that. It just, you know, things just come together a certain kind of way. But we're going to be, um, or I advise you to look at, it, it's a book by the name of The Lotus Quest. The Lotus Quest. And that's written by Mark Griffiths. Okay. And, um, you know, every book that I've been giving you all is a book that I really enjoyed. You know, so I'm not just like grabbing stuff out of thin air. Um, but, and, and I'm trying not to go too old with some of the books. I have a lot of really old books, but I know they're difficult to find. So I'm trying to get books that, you know, won't be too difficult to locate. But this book, I liked it a lot because it, it, it was like, um, reading about Mark Griffith's journey where he basically goes on the study of the lotus flower in Japan and, and kind of goes into what it, what it looked like, like what it meant for priests and, you know, the archaeology, you know, the archaeologists at that time and philosophers and different botanists and, and artists and poets. And, um, even while in, in, he's in Tokyo, he, he eats at a Lotus cafe where he literally eats Lotus. <laughs> but, um, if you've ever had sort of a, a fascination or just an appreciation for the Lotus flower, man, this is a really, really good book. Um, it's probably the best. There's another book about the Lotus. Maybe I'll get into another, another day, but it's probably out of those two. Those are the best books I think I've, I've ever read regarding the lotus and you might say man read a whole book about a flower trust me (laughs) it's it's good trust me you'll you'll enjoy it you know um but yeah the the lotus quest uh by mark griffiths it's um really really great book and it came out about 10 years or so something like that and um you know like i said it just breaks down the some of the mystery surrounding uh, the lotus flower in, in terms of it's just, it being an, an iconic sort of, um, symbol of a quest for understanding, but also how that, that flower sort of, um, what it meant in feudal Japan as well. You know, um, it just really breaks down a lot of that. He goes deep into it. So that is the book, um, I'm advising you, uh, to check out, or I'm just offering. Uh, which is the lotus, the quest for the lotus flower, uh, which is the quest for the sacred, um, sacred flower. All right. So I think you'll, you'll enjoy it a lot, you know, and there's, um, well, in search of the sacred flower, excuse me, the lotus quest in search of the sacred flower. Um, and there's a lot to that book, man. It's really, you did a really marvelous job on it, really marvelous. And I enjoyed it because it's like, I think when you read it, for those of us who like to explore and like to journey, it's one of those type of books you read and you almost feel like, man, I wish I would have wrote this. Like I would have, I wish I would have went on this journey that this person went on to, to bring the value of this. So check it out when you get a chance. All right. All right. Okay. So willfully, many of you are still along for the ride. <laughs> like I said, I know we know we ran over a bit. But all right, I want to get into some uh, Q and A's here. And again, thank you always for sending in comments, questions, and stuff like that. Um, this has been this has been kind of cool. I'm gonna pull one up, and it says, 
Um, let me make sure I got to cut some of this stuff out. Hello, Chief. In reference to the comment about cutting toxic people off or staying distant from them, do we need to be honest with those people of why we are distant or can we gracefully just begin to build barriers to protect ourselves with a long-handled spoon? Sometimes I struggle with how honest to be due to a history of passive or being too nice nature. However, I'm evolving definitely. But this question I've never had answered. I, oh, let me shut up. Okay. <laughs> Person was about to reveal that this, they came in through a, through another Anu member or Matt rather is, is good friends with another Anu member. They're about to tell me. So that's all I need to read. Like I said, it's all about the anonymity. All right. So let's, let's look into that. Um, the question, and I guess this, this question came in is uh, a lot of the questions are much older because they came in through different portals. So she asked this some time ago, but I did reach back out to the person and say, um, well, I just revealed her gender, but it's okay. And did say I would be reading it on a segment. So, um, do we, let's start with the first thing. Do we need to be honest with those people of why we are distant or can we gracefully just begin to build barriers to protect ourselves? Your your lifestyle should be an honest statement. And the reality is if you're around someone who would be considered to be toxic, your lifestyle should be so offensive to a toxic person that they want to cut you off. You know, um, there should be a, a consistent denouncing of what it is that you stand against. You know, sometimes uh, we can be too passive. Like you said, you know, you have a history of being passive. Well, passive means I let something pass. Is it passing by or passing through? You know, so those are some things you need to look at. But when you're dealing with someone who's toxic, you know, absolutely you have to put up boundaries. You have to put up walls. But again, um, those walls and those boundaries have to be a clear and honest, and honest, excuse me, statement um, made by you without, without shadow of a doubt. And that statement is is also it's incorporated in your lifestyle. You know, sometimes we don't realize that we feel like we have to open up our person. I mean, open up our mouths to now deal with someone, but a toxic person is someone who is outwardly manipulative. They're outwardly controlling. They're outwardly needing, you know, and obviously no one likes to have that level of maliciousness, you know, thrown at them. But sometimes there's a bully aspect associated with it they're usually very self-centered but all of this is done outwardly so you only know that they're pat they're they're toxic because of what they're sending towards you and those what they're sending in that energy oftentimes can create um certain feelings within you or you you choose certain feelings of guilt or shame or or low self-esteem because this person has narcissistic personality disorder that that's really the the truth of it and sometimes it can um it can manifest your own childhood trauma it could manifest other issues that may be deeply rooted in you that you're trying to deal with you know so if if this person who has this toxic core is sending out all of these different um sort of waves of energy if you will towards you then why would you not put up your own hedge or put up your own wall to say, hey, I, you know, I may not be able to totally define all this toxicity that's being 
thrown at me, but I, I, I can kind of feel when someone's deflecting responsibility or deflecting blame or deflecting, excuse me, or maybe preying on others. And yeah, they may have their own traumatic experience. That goes to what I spoke about with the Jezebel. Sometimes they use their trauma to get in or they may have um, subtle mental health challenges. But it's like, mm, you're not that crazy. <laughs> you know, you, you know what you're doing, you know. So I'm sure we can all relate to that on, on, on different levels. And, um, the thing that we have to be able to rec- to do is first recognize when you're around a person like that. Do I feel drained as soon as I start talking to them? Do I, is, is there a, um, discomfort? knowing that I have to get ready. If I, if I got to go meet with this person tomorrow or give them a call tonight, is there a discomfort in getting ready to go do that? You know, after I'm, I'm sort of engaging with this person, do I just feel less than sure of myself, less than confident, you know, and, and am I frustrated um, that when I'm in the presence of this person, that what I may need or what I may, what I may feel just really doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. So there is a breaking free, free up that has to happen. And because you end up, it, it debilitates you. It, it will just break you down. So like any abusive relationship, you know, um, that toxic person, they're, they're pretty skilled at knowing when to pull back. Oh, well, let me give you a break. Let me, Hey, you need anything from me? You know, they, they know how to play those games and to kind of contrive some level of consoling and things like that. But in the long term, the activity and the behavior and the spirit is not going to change. So you're, you're left with all of this false hope, you know, like, well, they seem like they're doing better. They seem like they, without realizing like, no, they're playing with you. They're only doing that for a time and then they're going to launch again. So yeah, you, 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 you have to, you have to cut away and it can be an exhausting. It could be traumatic. You know, there can be a lot of damage that's done. Um, if you don't decide to move on, you know, you may kind of be a person who's seeking to be at peace with everybody and be happy with other people, but you can't be that with a toxic person as long as they're in a toxic state. It's just impossible. Not until they get some help, you know, um, you, will you be able to work on a better relationship or kind of um, have a more balanced sort of relationship with them? So um, I know sometimes going or staying or your decisions can sometimes be based around that toxic person um, because there may be some physical abuse. There may be some psychological abuse. And you do need to protect yourself, but sometimes the person may be your spouse and you don't, you know, pulling away may be a little bit harder. Um, and sometimes they're blind, often purposely, to what it is that they cause in a person or they don't take accountability. Um, and, and taking accountability and being responsible, that's the, the building block of trust inside of a relationship. You know, and you might ask yourself, man, if I pull away from this person, will I ever be able to engage with them? Will I ever be able to get along with them? And that's not easily answered because it, it depends on the person. But just because they're toxic doesn't mean that there's no there's no possible light at the end of the of the tunnel. Be, but they they have a really central part to play 
and if that relationship can be saved or not, you know, but it's always just more advisable for you to, like you said, you, you know, do I handle them with a long spoon? No, you no spoon, no nothing, no bridge for that bacteria to get back across until they seek some help, you know, um, and like you said, you have a history of being passive. You have a history of uh, being too nice. But that that's also very subjective sometimes when we say that. You might just have a history of being abusive to yourself, which is just as wicked and just as cruel. You know, um, but like you said, however, I'm evolving definitely. But this question I've never had answered. So I, I will that I did answer it for you. I don't know why you haven't had an answer. It's not that complicated. You probably asking the wrong people, you know. Um, but no, we we don't want to form fellowships with with abusive people, you know. That's we don't want to figure out how to deal. Like, man, you know, my my mother or my father or my brother, or my sister is so toxic. How do I deal with them? You know. Um, well, you got to regulate your own thoughts as it as it deals with them, and you have to learn to engage in very. Healthy, because I know sometimes you can't cut away. You may have a um a, a elderly parent that um <clears throat> you can't move away from. It's like now I have to take care of them. Well, then you have to stay true to your values. You know, you got to stay true to your values, and it doesn't mean because you're staying true to your values that you're being cruel. Don't equate cutting someone off or staying true to being cruel. It's not the same thing. You're you're doing something that's healthy. And sometimes the healthiest thing you can do is to cut contact with another person. Sometimes that's the healthiest thing you can do. You see? And when you can regulate your own thoughts. So so when you're encountering something, it's not like, oh, man, you messed up my day. Oh, man, I was feeling great until you came along. No, you, you don't have that power. I'm not giving you that power. Nope. I'm good. <laughs> so when you start finding yourself thinking like that, like, Man, this person messed me up. This person, you have to, you have to remind yourself, no, my choices are my own and, and I choose not to be a victim. You didn't mess nothing up. Don't worry about it. I'm still good. Cause sometimes they'll say, well, I know I probably, you know, wore you out with all of this. I'm quick to tell somebody, you didn't wear me out. I'm good. Man, wore yourself out. You didn't wear me out. Right? Cause, cause I can regulate my own thoughts. I can regulate my own feelings and I can regulate my own limits that I set with someone. So that's being a person of your word. If you're not a person of your word, like let's say if a toxic person, there's someone who always borrows something from, Oh, Hey, could you cash at me some money? This, that, that, and they never pay it back. And you say, you know, and you say, Hey, if you can't pay this back or this, I, I can't give you money again. Or they say, I'm going to pay you back. Then they ask you for more. And you say, don't be afraid to say, you remember the money I lent you before? I actually need that back. And you're asking for more. Don't be afraid to be a person of your, of your word. You know, these are some of the things you do. Um, these are some of the things you do when you're dealing, when, when you can't escape, when you can't cut. You know, you got to focus on how you respond to that person. And um you got to decide if whether I'm going to speak up or whether I'm going to walk away. But either way, I can choose how I want to deal with the situation. I don't care what the title is between me, myself and that other person. I don't care what the, the, the title is. 
It's about the role. And I'm allowed to set boundaries. I'm allowed to set physical boundaries. I'm allowed to set emotional boundaries. I'm allowed to set mental boundaries. I don't have to be a part of anybody's gossip. Um, I can limit my contact with toxic people, even if we work together, you know, and even when you're in times when you can't limit your exposure completely, you can definitely limit the emotional energy that you give them. You can definitely do that. You can definitely decide not to complain about them when you get home and you're in your own space and they don't need to be there with you. You can refuse to let them, like I said, regulate your thoughts and dictate what kind of day you're going to have. You got to always remind yourself, man, always remind yourself. Now, nah, I regulate my feelings. You don't regulate regulate my feelings. I regulate my own feelings, you know. So th- this, that's just some of the things that, that you can utilize. But ultimately, I would say, um, and this is just, you know, off the top of the head. But ultimately, I would say, yeah, you, you cutting, cutting, <laughs> cutting that cord is always one of the best things you could do. And I understand sometimes. You might be dealing with someone, like I said, who has underlying mental issues. They may be bipolar or they may be have a, um, episodes of depression and or may have a weaker grip on their own reality and, and things like that. But it doesn't mean that it affects you any less, you know, and and I know sometimes it gets difficult when those sort of situations. But you have to be sure that you're not abusing yourself because then you become the toxic person to your towards yourself all right so that would be the uh q a or the matter of fact the question and answer uh q a that i would give you for that one thank you for your question and if you want to follow up if there's more to it because i know you asked it a long time ago you know i know you did um but that particular platform that you sent it through wasn't giving me my uh, messages i think i shared that with you they all came one night i just had all these messages just flooding from people from like a year ago, two years ago, two years ago. So, uh, willfully that helped you out. All right. So that has been our segment and you can hear the music. <laughs> so we're going to continue with this. It's going to be a part five on this Jezebel spirit and how we, how we deal with it, how we defeat it, you know, how we, um, reclaim the best portions of our, of our life. When we're, when we're dealing with someone who is toxic, you know, that's kind of what we've been talking about or who's always sequestering information to use against us, but just using their own emotions and their own feelings to, um, attempt to make us look like we're the Jezebel. <laughs> Sometimes I'll flip it on you like that, you know, um, but I, I will that you've been getting a lot out of these segments. It's been beautiful for me. Um, because it's been beautiful for some of you. I've had a lot of people reach out to me like, man, thank you so much. This is you know, male and female. And that's, that's great. That's what this is for. You know what I mean? This, that's exactly what this is for. So I'm glad that that, that you've been getting a lot out of these segments. And I know for some, it's a, there's some bitter pills in here. And I promise you that that's not my intention to, um, just have anyone feel bad about themselves or anything like that. But if you do, then get on top of it. You know, if, if you do, then you know, okay, well, I, I got some work to do. That's okay. We, we all have some work to do. You know, myself included. I'm working. And everything that I say, it reaches my ears before it reaches your ears. You know, just always keep that in mind. Oh, that's my notification. I got an appointment coming up soon. 
<laughs> all right but uh all my notifications i know it's loud so yeah it's time for me to uh i got more counseling to do <laughs> all right everyone so thank you for uh tuning in to chief you ya podcast as always um for life coaching you want to go to osirislife.com for for one-off sessions of coaching and consultations ask osiris.com for classes um online classes you could take at your own pace go to the saduluhouse.com s-a-d-u-l-u-h-o-u-s-e.com and if you want to be a part of my community and my minute my ministry and um you know be a part of this family you know the anu family you want to go to a n u l i f e g l o b a l dot o r g anulifeglobal.org all right be sure to uh link up with us through social media or um the website or whatever come on in all right so thank you for listening this has been chief yeah i'm out of here got to move on to my next assignment all right peace <laughs>